judging by the response of the World Cup uh, analogy, I, won't, I will take away all my illustrations that I have for this weekend, because none of them will uh, make any sense to you. Now, I, ha- I really don't have many World Cup illustrations other than this. I'm actually teaching a class on Monday nights for 10 weeks with a friend of mine. His church is a church plant, and, and I think this hopefully will be an encouragement to you. They're in Irvine. They were looking for a CUP as well, and by the grace of God, God worked it out that they were able to connect with someone in the city of Irvine, and were able to get that uh, CUP. And, and so I, I know that God is faithful even when you're feeling a sense of, of anxiety and a, a sense of, of kind of uncertainty about the future that God is there. But anyway, I'm teaching this class for my friend in his church. You have a school of discipleship on Monday nights, and the congregation is 80% Mexican-American immigrants, so the Mexican immigrants. So I tell them that, you know, we're big fans of Germany, because my wife is from Hamburg, her family's from Hamburg, and uh, we're really looking forward to the Mexico-Germany game, but we expect that Germany's going to win. And so this past Monday, I, I taught, and I had, to, I had to come and bow before them and, and say, you know, hey, Mexico did a great job, and they won 1-0. to zero. For those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, Mexico played on Sunday against Germany, and they won 1-0. to zero. You know, I was thinking about what Stephen had said about the retreat that saved his life, or saved whatever he was going on, going on in his life at that point. And, and it made me think um, a lot about why we're here. And, you know, some of you actually may be thinking and feeling as I am right now. Um, your, your mind is, I mean, your body is here, but your mind is not fully here. Because you, you have things back at home that, that you have right, right here. You know, you're thinking about something that you had forgotten to do perhaps with, with work or there's something at home that you, you have on your to-do list or you're thinking about something with the kids that needs to be done. You know, we're in the throes of summer and, and maybe there are family vacations that are to be planned. And, and so being on retreat like this, we can be physically present, but sometimes we can, we can be so distracted because of all that we left behind that we really didn't leave behind, right? You guys understand that? Does that make sense? Last time I was on a retreat like this, I have to confess, was about 10 years ago. Uh, I've, I've typically, since I've been in Irvine, I've gone on trips around the world, um, mission trips. I've, I've called those my retreats. And uh, I've been involved in, in mission to in Mexico. Uh, we build playgrounds, homes. Been to the West Bank. We build playgrounds there. Uh, been in South Africa and Swaziland. And we, we just help out in whatever way we can. But I haven't been on a retreat like this since I was in Morristown, New Jersey. I was an associate pastor there. And there were a group of men every fall, about 200 men, We'd get together, we'd go from New Jersey, we'd drive up north to High Point, New Jersey, and we'd go over the state border into New York, into New York State to a place called Lake Champion. Lake Champion is owned by Young Life, and it was in the fall, it was beautiful, the, the leaves were changing, it was gorgeous outside, it was a little crispy at night, it wasn't like it is up here right now, we didn't have to have air conditioning, we didn't have to have fans, and we had a bunch of men who were go, 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 go all the time, who had to go slow, 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 slow. 
And it's hard to do. It's hard to leave, to come on retreat because there's so many things going on. But you know, one of the reasons we go on retreat is because this Scripture commands us to go on retreat. It calls that a Sabbath. A Sabbath rest, a pause from the routine that you and I take in life. You know, when your, your heart is in a kind of a out of sync, an arrhythmia, you need to get it back in rhythm. You need to get it right. And I think this is what we do here on a retreat like this. We may have a lot of things back at home. We may have a lot of things in our hearts and our minds, and this is why we're here. Because we want to escape that routine and we want to think about a, a new rhythm and get in rhythm and sync with the Lord. And what a great theme to have, to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're coming up on this mountain experience here, on this mountaintop with Jesus, and we're being invited into His presence to taste and see anew His goodness. And it's funny, you know, we, we come on these retreats to, to do that when that goodness and that table invitation is to us every single day. But because of that routine... Because of that busyness, because of that schedule, we don't have time to notice that God has laid a spread before us and He wants us to come and dine with Him. So we have to come here and slow down to realize that there's a table invitation. I don't know who in your family uh, makes the meals, but uh, I'm not going to be a gender stereotype here because I actually make the meals in my family. I like to cook. Any men here like to cook? There's a couple of you there, okay? Now, I cook because my wife does not like to cook. And I like to make different types of meals, and, and she's actually the better cook, but I, but I enjoy it more than she does, and so I do it. And when I make a meal for my family, and I lay that meal out on the table, and I spend, you know, 45 minutes to an hour getting everything prepared, I want them to come to the dinner table when I invite them to come. I want them to sit down at the table. But now I have three kids, and you might know the story. I, I call them, hey kids, it's time for dinner, and it is crickets. I, I just, there is no response. I wait a few minutes, maybe I'll, I'll look at my phone, I'll do something else, I'll, I'll go watch the news for a little bit, and then I'll call them again. I'll say, hey kids, I called you for dinner, and I'll get like a, oh yeah, yeah, we heard you, we heard you. And then a minute or two goes by, and the first kid comes down. It's usually my middle daughter, Clara, who actually hates my dinners. But she comes down at least, finally. She's like, we're having this again. And then, and then my older daughter will come down. And then another five minutes will go past. And I'll have to yell back up and say, hey, Lucas, to my son, it's time for dinner. And my 10-year-old's like, oh, yeah, Dad, I'm just finishing up on uh, Roblox. I, or I just got something going on with Fortnite. I, I'm almost done. You guys don't know that situation, do you? You've never heard this before, right? And he'll come down, and, and actually sometimes the last person to come is my wife because she has a very busy job, and she is, she's deploying something, or she's, she's doing a rollout of something, or she, she has some sort of fire to put out, and she'll finally come down as well. How often do we treat God like my kids treat me when I lay a table before them. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, God, God I, I know you've invited me to the table. I know you want me to come, but 
I'll be there in a few minutes. Because our busyness, our routine, we're occupied with other things. And so it's hard for us to come and connect with God. But friends, we are here this weekend to connect with the Father, the Master Chef who invites us to His table to taste and see His goodness. Recently, um, my son and I, we, we went up to uh, Culver City, to the Westfield Mall. My, my boy has been uh, interested in, in doing acting and background work. And so we went up to this uh, HBO pilot, and uh, my friend who takes his kids to do background work, he had told me, you know, you are going to love the catering service. The, the craft service is awesome. So we went up to Culver City, and when we got there, it was this like kind of parking base, and there was, there was, no, there was no food. They said, if you want to wait for a while, you can go to the Starbucks. I'm like, where's the great food? I'm going to the Starbucks right here. So we go to the Starbucks, and then they say, well, come back in like 45 minutes. Come back in 45 minutes. And then they, they take us to another location where the, the shoot is actually taking place. And there are tent after tent after tent of food, catered food, steak, salmon, all kinds of vegetables and, and fruits and other side dishes. And it was just this wonderful kind of potpourri of food. And we'd, we just dug in and ate of it. You know, God has a uh, table for us that's spread with the finest and the richest of foods. When I think about food and I think about tasting, I, and it's, it's hard for me not to think about food. I think about comfort foods. Does anybody here have comfort foods? Yeah. For me, blue cheese. I know you're like, oh, that's <laughs> disgusting. Blue cheese. I love cheese. Any kind of cheese, blue cheese is great. Uh, you're going to think this is disgusting too. Liverwurst. So, you know, I love that kind of pate spread you can put on crackers and bread. It's salty, awesome. I love, I love any kind of salted canned fish. Salmon, trout, herring, love it. Uh, nut or butter cookies. And I love those because my, my grandma used to have a jar on her refrigerator. And so when I was a kid, I would go and steal from that jar when she wasn't looking. And I love those things. And then Golden Graham cereal. <laughs> One of my favorite shows uh, when I was uh, younger was, the, um, was Seinfeld. And I, I love Jerry Seinfeld's kitchen where he has like maybe 20 boxes of different cereals. You know, that's kind of, if I, if I could live on one thing, I would live on, on cereal. But what's comfort for us? What, what's comfort food for us is not comfort food for someone else. I was curious to, to think about what kind of comfort foods there are in other places, are foods that, that maybe I would never taste. And I was looking into this, and I think this is all culturally conditioned. There's something called the durian fruit. It's like a rotten fruit. Some people really, really like it. Um, or has a rotten odor. It's not a rotten fruit. Frog legs, reindeer pate. That, that could be pretty good. Bird's nest soup. Anybody heard of bird's nest soup? No? Mangosteen. It's a tropical evergreen. Is it good? Is it? So it, it is good. See, you know, it's balut. I mean, the, the embryo of chicken or duck. Has anybody ever ha- tasted that? Has anyone ever tried that? Anybody? I guess no one from the Philippines here. I think they, they, they do that in the Philippines. Um, 
this one got me, because I love cheese. There's, one, there's this cheese called Kasu Marzu. It's Sardinian cheese with living maggots inside. I'm wondering if the dead maggot version would be better. That doesn't sound too good. Uh, roasted beetles. Now, if you go to Mexico and you go to a little taqueria, they, they have as one of the condiments, not beetles, but they have, they have crickets. They have, they have dried crickets, and those are not too bad. Uh, fish sperm sashimi. I mean, they, that's normal, I guess. Uh, and then the one that, that got me, and, and I, I re- remember this. I never tried it, but one time we flew to Germany on Iceland Air. And so we flew through Reykjavik. And Reykjavik, um, in Iceland, they have a delicacy called haurkatl, which is an Icelandic fermented shark. And so they basically let the... the the shark ferment and they eat it. See, some foods, some tastes are just not comforting to us. But, like mangosteen, some of us who you say, well, that sounds disgusting, but you've tried it, right? You, you, it's pretty good. Every year at Thanksgiving, we have a, a number of UCI students who are uh, mostly, mostly from China who come to our house for Thanksgiving. And it's, uh, it's through a kind of a cultural exchange opportunity. We want to open our house up and be hospitable and, and give them an opportunity to experience what it's like to be in, a, in an American family's home for a meal, but also to be in an American family's home for a meal who, who loves Jesus. Now, we don't necessarily openly proselytize them, but we want, to, we want to be Christ to these young women and young men who come through. One thing that gets me every time is that we, we make this big turkey— and it seems like every single one of the young women and men who come in are enamored by the turkey and they want to carve it. They, they see me carving it and they want to get the electric carving knife and they want to try it too. So they try it and they all take their phones out and they take pictures. But as soon as they take a bite of that turkey, it looks like they don't want to have anything to do with an American Thanksgiving because it's dry, it's just not that tasty. And so it's funny to see their response. I think when we think about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, it's easy to confuse what we like, what's comforting to us, what we desire, what we want, or what we'd like to see at God's table. What we think that God's best provision for us might be with what God's best for us actually really is. You see, we we think that God should give us X or Y or Z or this plate or that plate. And yet God knows what's best for us. And the joy for us is simply that He invites us to His table to come and partake of the feast He set before us. He says, taste and see. He calls us to be His disciples. Come and follow Me and I will make you fisher of people. He says to Peter, I think about what it means to come to the table as a crossway community. Ten years when you started out ago, when you, you came into Pastor Paul's living room and you, you prayed together and you worshipped together and you, you had this verse, Psalm 34, 8, that was, was there for you. How do we rest in you, Lord, and rest at your table and taste and see of your goodness? And then this is what derives from it. Crossway. When you say you're a church, choosing the way of the cross is our way. When you say that that's who you are and what you're about, everything at the table is not going to taste good. Everything that God puts before you is not going to taste good. 
Because the reality is, when Christ calls you to pick up your cross, He calls you to deny yourself. He calls you to lose your life in order to find it. Now, that's not all that comforting to me. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, when we come to His table, I, I want to have a great time. I, I think of a party. I think of a festival. I think of everything is good. The wine is flowing and, and the food is just exquisite. And yet, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. So to me, that means that, that the table that God has prepared for us, it's, it's going to be good, but it's not going to be easy. There are going to be things that we have to to consume, they're not going to kill us, but we're not going to like consuming them. We're going to not like feeding at his table at times. You know, I think about his words in Matthew as well, earlier on to his disciples, when he says in chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The whole very invitation to take a yoke upon me and that imagery just doesn't work that means that i'm going to actually be working i'm going to be doing hard labor and yet you say this is going to be easy this yoke is easy this burden is light he says though if you do that i will give you rest you see when jesus invites us to his table he invites us to be part of a relationship and part of a family Psalm 34, verses 1 through 7 says this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I'm curious for you, and you don't have to answer this aloud, but how is it for you right now at God's table? You feel like you're your plate is full and you can't take any more? Do you feel like God has put something before you that you just can't consume? Do you feel like your plate is empty, that all that you thought this would be, it isn't what you thought it would be? Because it's okay to be honest about that. It's okay to feel a sense of discouragement and pain. A sense of disappointment. You know, the scriptures, the scriptures don't lie. In fact, when we read, I will bless the Lord at all times, the first thing that I, I think about is, what about that curse? Because the opposite of blessing, of praising, is cursing. What about that lament? You know, this psalm is, is about blessing the Lord, about thanking Him and and coming to his table. When we think about the Psalms, there are Psalms of lament. There are Psalms that don't curse the Lord, but, but they come awfully close to, to questioning God and his goodness. 
You know, one of the most famous psalms that we know comes right before another famous psalm, probably the most famous psalm we know, Psalm 23, and that's Psalm 22. And what does it say? It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You remember those words? Those words were spoken by Jesus from the cross when his table was not what he would have desired it to be. He said, Lord, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. You see, friends, when God invites us to the table to come and see, we don't always experience the comfort that we want or what we expect. But we will experience the goodness of God. We will experience the provision of God even when we have to bear a cross that causes us to deny ourselves and lose our life to save it. Well, before we just dive into the text a little bit, I wanted to, to think about this whole idea of, of the tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And, and I, I want us to think about the analogy of a table invitation this weekend. I want us to think about God preparing a table for us and preparing a feast for us. Just that, like that analogy with my, with my kids, make a dinner and, he invite, and I invite them in. And sometimes they don't come. And sometimes when they do come, they're, they're not grateful for what's on the table. But I want us to think about that because God invites us to a table. And when you look at the Scripture, the theme of table and feast are throughout the Scripture. Psalm 23 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. God actually has a table of provision for us even when we're going through difficult times. How many of your kids play Fortnite? It's like, if you don't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> okay, so my kids play Fortnite. All three of my kids play Fortnite. And, and I think about what it's like to be in the presence of your enemies when they play <laughs> Fortnite with uh, 99 other people who are trying to kill them. It's, you know, er- every man for himself. And I think, gosh, that is my analogy for what it feels like because I watch them and I get nervous you know you got to get the you got to get the assault rifle you got to get the gun that you can you know you can the thermal gun where you can see everything and and you got to look around because somebody's going to somebody's going to snipe you and and it's and there's this kind of you know anxiety producing thing the Lord knows that in our lives our lives are sometimes a lot like that Fortnite we feel that we're being sniped from all sides. We're being shot at. We are feeling like the provisions are running out. And yet God says that He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He gives us sustenance in the presence of our enemies. We see the table theme in Scripture with Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus reclines at the table with sinners and tax collectors. Levi invites him into his home. Jesus goes in and he eats with the people who are, are recline exercised by the community around him. Jesus eats with people who are considered unclean. Jesus is the presence with them at that table. The provision of God with them at that table. Jesus says that in Luke 13, 29, people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. You know, God is preparing a table not just for us, 
but he's preparing a table for everyone. I had a conversation with one of, uh, one of the guys who were here at the retreat this weekend about Irvine. And uh, when my wife and I moved to Irvine in 2010, one of the things that we loved about moving to Irvine is that Irvine is a place with people from all over the world. Irvine has people from east and west and north and south. There are 81 different languages spoken at tables in the city of Irvine. 43% of the population of Irvine were born somewhere other than the United States of America. We have the world that's come to the city of Irvine, and it gives me an image of what God is doing and in inviting people to his table from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And friends, he's invited us to sit at that table, to be part of that table, and to invite others to that table. So we have the table theme in Scripture, we have the feast theme in Scripture. In Isaiah, it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And then the kingdom of God parables, we see the king who throws a wedding feast for his son. And of course, the, the feast and the table that we probably know the best is Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. He invites them to that meal the night in which he's betrayed. He dines with them. And he offers up his body and his blood as they take of that bread and that cup. Well, friends, God's inviting us into a meal with him today. And I hope this weekend that you can actually put to behind you some of that routine that you've been part of and some of that noise that's down the mountain and that you can come afresh to God's table you can hear the Father's voice as He calls you down to eat with Him, to dine with Him. And I want to just look at this, uh, these seven verses briefly this morning, as, or this afternoon, as we think about this. When the Lord calls us to bless Him at all times, and the psalmist says, bless Him at all times, you know, we do have that sense, as I've already said in Psalm 22, that sometimes it, we don't feel like blessing the Lord. Sometimes we feel like crying out, with anger and lament, which is completely normal. But what God has called us to do is to give Him praise no matter what the circumstances are. God has called us like He called Job. You know, even if things fall apart, we give God the glory. We give God the praise. We give God the focus and the attention. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But we're to bless the Lord at all times because he's called us to be part of his family to sit at his table. And we are his children. And yes, some of the food he puts before us doesn't taste good. It's hard to consume. It, feels like it's, it seems like it's inedible. But God is with us. God has prepared us and he doesn't give us anything more than what we can handle. He gives us the strength to carry through. So we bless Him at all times. We praise Him continually, as it says, His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. And then it says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The psalmist, before he gets to verse 8, to tasting and seeing the Lord's goodness, he says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. And one of the questions I have for us, as we try to come to His table or invited to His presence, is, is our boast in the Lord? When I think about what I boast in or what others boast in who call themselves Christians 
Oftentimes, it's in the things that God has given us, the provisions he has given us, or the life he's given us, as opposed to the God who gives those things to us. We praise the provisions, and we don't praise the provider. We boast in the provisions, and we don't boast in the provider. We, we are, as I said to one group recently, we, we become kind of people who are excited about the treasures of the kingdom, but not about the king. I think about being in Irvine, even though I love living in Irvine, I love this, this kind of coming from east and west, north and south, and all the different cultures and people there. One of the things that everyone in Irvine holds in common, I believe, is that we think our kid is better than the other kid. And we boast in our children. And, and I, it's funny, but it, at the same time, it's, it's actually pretty tragic. Because it's not only a boast about their academic prowess, and the things that they've achieved, the awards they've made, but it's also, it also extends to other extracurricular activities they're a part of. When we first started into the club scene in soccer, my, my, it was through my middle daughter. She was, she was five, which is way too early. Um, it's way too early. Psychologically messes with your kid. But you, we started off that age, and, and I kid you not, we were with parents of five-year-olds who thought their daughter was going to be the next Division I player, and maybe, maybe, good enough to be able to play on the women's national team. <laughs> Sorry, that's not going to happen with any one of your daughters. Orange County, Southern California has probably the, other than Texas and California, I mean, and, and maybe Nevada and Florida, although California still is the gold star as far as female soccer players. Uh, None of the girls on that team are going to be on the women's national team. There may be a few that play Division I soccer someday, but the fact that we think our kids are all that and we, we give glory to them, we boast in them, as opposed to boasting in the God who has given us children in the first place. I think about my middle daughter who was that girl playing club soccer from the very beginning. And now as I see her having developed and some of her friends having fallen away from soccer and not interested, you know, developing physically into different kids and also with different interests. And I see her and I see her as a little person that God has created in his image. She's not a soccer player. She's a child of God. And God has created her. And she's not, she's not the stuff that she does or the stuff that she does that makes me proud of her. Even though I, I may have a tendency, like a lot of Irvine parents, to, to boast in, in one of my children, my boast should be in the Lord and who He has made her to be, who He's made me to be, what He has given us. He gets the glory for that. Those things don't get the glory, and that's not what we boast in. The psalmist goes on and says, After that, make your soul boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. You know, those of us who understand that we have nothing other than what God provides for us, we are the humble. But most of us struggle to be that humble. I think about the story of David and Goliath. The story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. The humble of Israel, humbled by the fact that Philistines have a giant that's gargantuan and no one in their army can go face to face with him in single combat 
they have this little shepherd boy with a sling and a staff who comes to them and says, hey, I'll fight him. They have a champion there, but they, they don't believe he can do anything. But the reality is they can't do anything, and so they let him jump in the middle of the fray and fight. Not with a sword, not with a shield, not with armor, but just with his sling and five smooth stones. You know the story. But what does David do? David doesn't say, hey, you know, I'm a mighty man. I'm a champion. I am this and that. He says that the Lord God of Israel will be made known today that He is the Lord. That He is the one that's in charge. He's the one in whom we put our boast. He's the one those of us who are humbled because of life circumstances can hear and be glad in Him. Psalmist goes on and says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He, he, calls, he calls the congregation, calls all of us to join Him in praise, to sing praise, to exalt the name of the Lord together in verse 3. How many of you guys here are people who write reviews? Uh, TripAdvisor, Yelp, anybody ever written a review? Okay, we have some reviewers here. Yeah. Sometimes those reviews may actually be negative, right? You've been to a place and you just want to say, this was an awful experience. Well, a year ago, uh, I went with a friend of mine and his family and my family to Costa Rica. We always wanted to go to Costa Rica. His kids are the same age as my kids. My friend's a writer and, uh, and his kids love to surf and my kids enjoy surfing. So we thought we'd take the kids down to Dominical and on the Pacific side of Costa Rica for this little kind of fun surf trip. And my friend Dave just can't, he can't stop writing. So when we're, we're there, every little soda, which is like a little diner in Costa Rica we go into, he writes like a review on TripAdvisor. And it's, and it, I mean, he loved all of the food. So all of it was just, just glowing praise for the, the beans and the rice, you know, the way it was prepared in this place with the, with the fried sweetened plantain and the fish. And, you know, he's just this great kind of peons, this praise for these places. And and I, and I made me think, you know, about that kind of praise for a restaurant or for a hotel or for a surf camp. How are you and I when it comes to writing a review for the glory of God? How are we in, in bringing the Lord praise, magnifying Him before others with a big loudspeaker? You know, you watch the World Cup, going back to the World Cup, and you see these nations who come together around a silly sport. I love the sport, but it's a silly sport when you think of it. It's just a sport. It's just a ball. If people define, you know, soccer, it's, it's 22 men in a field, 90 minutes later, Germany wins. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Or Mexico wins, right? So uh, it's, it's just a game, and yet you see this, like, kind of, this praise from these people, these fans, for the sport, for the nation, for the victory, could we not do that with God? I mean, God calls us to, to magnify Him, to praise Him, to exalt His name together. And then the psalmist says, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I think this is going to be the heart of the problem for many of us when it comes to coming to God's table and experiences goodness to us is that one of the reasons we're not those people who write reviews, we're not those people who boast in the Lord, we're not those people who 
bless God continually, praise Him continually, is because we've come to His table and we have not experienced His goodness like others have. You know, for some of us, we just haven't sought the Lord. Or we've sought the Lord and He hasn't answered us. Or we really have not had anything for Him to deliver us from. Because life has been pretty grand. Life has been pretty good. You know, we got, we got intact kids. We're doing well in school. We've got a good job. We've got a good paycheck. We have savings. We have vacations. We have food. We have all those things that we want to have. And so, yeah, yeah, I, it's hard to write a review on God because I sometimes don't feel like I need Him. I don't feel like I need His table. I mean, because I, I got a refrigerator stock full of stuff. Anybody ever experienced that? Ever feel that? Ever sense that? But I think that's what God is calling us to think about is that, is that we, we need to seek Him because there's something we're missing. When I, when I look at Irvine, and I'm going to keep picking on Irvine because I live there, and some of you live there too, I think there's a lot of diversity in Irvine. There's a lot of great things in Irvine, but one of the, one of the things that is, is the real problem is that we put our, our trust and our hope, our boast in, in the wrong things. Now, one thing, it doesn't matter what culture you come from in the city of Irvine. It doesn't matter what language you speak. The one thing that you actually value like everyone else, just completely homogenous, is education for your kids. You value that over anything else. And so you pursue that and you seek that. But that's, that's a perceived kind of need. That's not the real need. If you actually took the, took the roofs off the homes in Irvine and saw the 260,000 people that were living there, in the heart of the evening, kids are home, parents are home. You would see incredible pain, incredible trouble. Marriages that are, are on the point of divorce, domestic violence, financial crisis. You would see people, I kid you not, Irvine has a homeless population. And you may not believe it because the, the police officers in, in Irvine bring the homeless people to Costa Mesa or they, they put them somewhere other than Irvine. They, Tustin, maybe they're in Tustin, I don't know, because we try to, we try to ship them over the borders. But we have a homeless population because we have people who are homeless in Irvine who, who couch surf, who go from home to home, who are our friends and our family members and and they may have a, a substance abuse problem. They may have a laziness problem. Who, who knows what they have? But there's a problem of homelessness in Irvine. But you don't see those things because we, we hide everything. So the real needs that we have, only God can provide at His table when He shows us His goodness, when we taste His goodness and see His goodness. The psalmist goes on and says, those who look to him are radiant. Remember Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 34, he sees the Lord's face. He veils his face because his face shines and their faces shall never be ashamed. When we're in the presence of the Lord, we shine. We're in the presence of the Lord, we're new. It says in verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. We have to this weekend, we have to examine the poverty of our own souls. Because for us to be able to come to the table and taste and see the Lord is good, we have to 
see what the need is, the real perceived need inside of us, the real pain, the real longing, the real need, the gnawing discouragement that maybe some of us have day to day. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalmist who's getting ready to tell us that we're to taste and see the Lord is good. He says the Lord saves those who seek Him, who are humble, who boast in Him, those who fear Him, that He encamps around those who put their trust in Him. We need to become people who are more in awe and fear of the greatness and the goodness of the Lord. So this weekend... God is inviting us to his table to taste and see his goodness. Let's put behind those things that we, part of our routine down in the valley. Let's think about the poverty of our own souls, the things that we need. Realize that when we come to God's table that, that he provides us these provisions and this good, these good things. And some, some of them, of course, are not going to always taste good to us. But he knows what's good for us and he invites us to be part of this spread and this family that he's given to us. And so tonight we're going to go through these questions soon and just to think about the reality for us right now, particularly as it pertains to whether we can bless the Lord at all times. We may be in a period where we're just having a hard time blessing the Lord. And then also just thinking about the plate that God's put before us and, and then also the dependence He asks us to have to put in Him to think about the poverty of our own souls this evening. So I want to pray for you, pray for us, pray that, that this weekend we could really slow down and come to his table and to experience his goodness afresh and anew. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your presence with us this evening. We thank you, God, for your words to us in Psalm 34. We thank you, Lord God, that you have spread a table before us. Even though we're being sniped from all over the place, even though we feel at times overwhelmed, Lord, you are with us. And you want us to see your goodness and to taste of your goodness. May this weekend we be able to quiet our hearts and consider what it means to sit at your table as your children. What it means to experience that goodness as a crossway community. Even in the midst of some hard table conversations. Some difficult experiences. And Lord, may we be renewed individually and corporately by the power of your Holy Spirit working through this table that you give to us and for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.